Hello and welcome to another episode of the Endeavor Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Breitkopf. Today we have a really interesting episode. I attended the TPACT conference about a week ago. That is the Test Prep Admissions and Private Tutoring Conference. Uh, basically, it's a conference of uh, different uh, tutoring company owners, operators, uh, independent operators, private counselors get together uh, once a year and talk about trends in college counseling, college admissions, uh, test prep, private tutoring, etc. And I was part of and moderator of a panel on the test optional movement. A little background before I uh, cut to the panel and uh, at the conference. Uh, basically, about three, four weeks ago in uh, late June, uh, the newspaper USA Today ran an article about the fact that the University of Chicago, famous university, uh, announced that they were going test optional. And test optional means that they will accept admissions, pardon me, accept uh, applications from students uh, who choose not to submit standardized test scores. And on this podcast, is if you're a regular listener, you've uh, heard us talk about the SAT, the ACT, things like that. Now, test optional does not mean that they don't accept test scores. That means that if you choose not to submit test scores with your application, they won't just deny you out of hand like most other schools would. They'll uh, still consider your admissions, but it is no guarantee of admissions. So this panel was talking about the test optional movement, what that is and what it means for a major, highly ranked university like the University of Chicago, which was ranked third in the U.S. News and World Report uh, scoring last year, which is its highest ranking ever, uh, and what that means for tutoring companies and what that means for families and students who utilize tutoring services to help them maximize their scores. Uh, so I'm going to introduce our uh, panelists when I, uh, when I cut to the panel. So in the meanwhile, uh, here it is. Thank you, and welcome to the uh, final uh, panel of the conference. Uh, this is Understanding the Test Optional Movement and the Implications for Test Prep and Admissions Firms. Uh, rather than a typical PowerPoint presentation, uh, our two presenters opted for a more conversational model. I'm here to moderate. I'm Jason Breitkopf from uh, Chaitin Educational Services. I'm the Faculty Director and Director of Academics. Uh, in addition to what I do in terms of recruiting, hiring, training, and managing the staff of tutors, and my role in curriculum development, I also write articles for our blog and host our Endeavor podcast, of which we are recording a live episode. Uh, thank you so much for participating. Uh, this will be available on iTunes, Spotify, and other platforms next week. Uh, one of the reasons that I was asked to moderate this panel was that I'm actually wrote an article about this for our blog and did a little bit of research on it recently and um, really I'm really interested in this topic of test optional. Uh, our blog is uh, at our website chatton.com. The first panelist we have here is Scott Webster. Say hello Scott. Uh, he is one of the owners of Claiborne Education, an educational consulting company based in Charlottesville, Virginia. Scott also tutors high school and graduate level test prep, oversees tutor training and development and manages Claiborne's college entrance prep programs. To my right, your left, is our second panelist, Scott Clyburn. 
Originally from Houston, Scott has been tutoring professionally since 2005. He holds degrees from the University of Virginia and Yale and has taught both secondary and higher education. He is the founder of North Avenue Education in Portland, Oregon. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here. Pleasure. Yeah, happy to be here. All right, so the, the gentleman had hoped that it would be more of a conversation uh, between them and the, uh, those of you as a group, so feel free to chime in, ask questions. Uh, selfishly, just for podcast purposes, I just ask that you turn up your own volume so that everyone at home listening can hear you. Um, so I'm just going to jump right in and ask a question, hopefully jumpstart the conversation, gentlemen. Uh, this is about the test optional movement and what it means for tutoring and test prep companies as well as uh, clients, uh, families. So what is, in your opinion, what do you think the motivation is for colleges, higher ed institutions uh, to go test optional? Why do they do it? So Scott uh, Webster and I were talking about this uh, just a, a few minutes ago. There are a few motivations, um, many of which are have the critics of the test optional movement have pointed out are self-serving on the college's parts. Um, not least of which is that if you go test optional, for one, you can announce that in a big PR campaign. Um, you get in, you usually get a, a article in uh, Inside Higher Ed or the New York Times. Um, or USA Today, as, as we all learned when UChicago dropped it. Um, and you also get uh, a big push of apps that next application cycle. So people hear that UChicago goes test optional, they think, oh, well, maybe UChicago is um, within my reach now. You know, I, I didn't have that ACT score, that SAT score that would have made me competitive um, to apply there, but now I might be able to get in the door because they're test optional. So that's one, one way that it's self-serving for colleges. And to tack onto that, another potential uh, latent intention behind moving to more open test optional policies is that you get to play the ranking arms race, right? Which is fundamentally a quantitative measure. So uh, a lot of the schools that are represented in this, this sample um, are small liberal arts institutions. They're competing uh, you know, for the top 50 designation from US World News and World Report. And if they can selectively uh, increase their uh, admission portfolio in terms of percentage of diverse or underrepresented minorities, while at the same time not having to report their subpar uh, standardized test scores, then they have an increase in perceived selectivity. And they start to play you know, by perhaps unfair rules in that arena. Another criticism that was voiced, I think, by uh, if you're looking at the scholarly um, literature, there's a great um, report by uh, Andrew Belasco of UGA. So I encourage you to take a look at that in your own time. UGA meaning the University of Georgia. Yes. So, so you've been talking about kind of their goals, their motives, why they would do this. Um, in terms of the, the, the students who are applying, even with a school like University of Chicago, who might get a bump in the number of students who are not taking tests or are not going to report their lower scores, it really is not going to make that much of a difference, at least what, from what I've observed from other schools that have gone test optional, especially in the first year or so, where the majority of students still submitted scores. In fact, even in schools like Bowdoin, who've been test optional since 1969 and is the first, brags that it was the first school to go test optional as if schools in the 1800s didn't exist. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, even they say uh, approximately 70% of their applicants submit scores every year. 
So how does that really affect what their admissions process is, at least in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think it's still true that if you're applying to um, Bowdoin or Wake Forest or UChicago, um, you're probably uh, already a good student. You consider yourself a pretty ambitious and motivated high schooler. Um, and so at, at some point, you probably consider yourself prepared for the SAT or the ACT, either through uh, private tutoring or your own independent study or your coursework. If you're taking AP or IB coursework, you probably think, hey, I, I, can, I can do fairly well on a standardized test. So you're probably still gonna take them, especially if you go to a school where it's the culture to take tests, or if your public school or private school offers the test during the school day, during your academic year, you're gonna have those scores at the ready anyway. Um, so what we found is that students, even if they're applying to some test optional schools, they're probably going to be a more uh, competitive applicant even if they submit those scores, if, if, the test, if the school is test optional. They're probably still a good reason to submit your scores uh, because you might be on the higher end of that school's range. So before, I mean, we've been talking up till now about the schools, the colleges, why they're doing it, um, what purpose it might serve them. Before we kind of turn the corner and talk about the tutoring center and the, and the family, the student um, who, who are being affected by this, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about this, Scott. Um, you brought up this um, uh, graphic here, and I want you to talk a little bit about that, what that is and what that means, so that we're, we're all kind of prepared for when families come in, when parents ask questions about this test optional you know, news blast that came out a couple of weeks ago. Certainly, and uh, I think it is important to see that it is a continuum. Uh, so when you hear that Chicago has gone test optional, I think it still puts the onus on uh, us as, as educators, as counselors, to communicate to our parents, well, let's, let's understand what that actually means. Because there's a lot of nuance from institution to institution, and you can see it ranges from one school has reported, I think it's Hampshire, is that correct? Mm -hmm. I forget. Hampshire, is, there's only one that is 100% test blind. And there are some interesting uh, repercussions that came out of that. They are no longer ranked at all, uh, so that there's some potential issue there. Uh, all the way to more flexible, uh, optional policies. And you can see across this continuum that uh, really, you just need to do your homework. And I think in speaking to local counselors in Virginia, that is the, the primary concern that students, families hear, oh, they've gone test optional, so I don't need to worry about tests anymore. It's significantly more nuanced, and in fact, I think that's, that's driving some demand our way. And one thing that I think we haven't talked about as we were prepping for this is that there's a, there is something called text fle test flexible, which I think a lot of people get confused about the difference between test optional and test flexible. Do either of you feel comfortable uh, talking about that? Well, the, the one school that we encounter a lot that's test, test flexible is NYU. Yes. Uh, so in, in lieu of an SAT or an ACT score, you can submit three AP or SAT subject tests. Um, so the tests are still there, and uh, coursework competency is still emphasized. Uh, it just may not be the big ones, like the SAT or the ACT. So a test flexible school will take alternatives that are still in the same realm. We're still talking SAT subject test. We're still talking AP. This is, these are not tests that are unknown or outrageous or things that most families and students and uh, tutors and counselors would be unaware of. Mm -hmm. So 
I think that's just, that's a good uh, thing to keep track of when families come in there and they're starting to ask questions. I've heard all these terms. I've, I've actually picked up a copy of USA Today and I wasn't even on vacation um, at a hotel, which I don't mm -hmm. know, you know, that's the only time I've ever read USA Today. Um, and I want to know what these terms are. You're the expert. You tell me. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big thing to be aware of. Speaking I'm of that, I'm yes, sir. I got him in Fairtest.org. Well, no, we visited there, and I remember, I believe it was Colby. I'm sure you're right. I mean, I don't remember the names of, of all the schools off the top of my head. Um, you know, again, in, of the 4,000 colleges, you know, across the country, there's going to be, you know, and everybody comes from different parts of the country. You're going to have students who applied more to one place or another. And if you know that, great. Please feel free to jump in and help. <laughs> um, so now let's, if you don't mind, I want to flip it kind of talking about um, when the family comes in and now they're like, okay, I heard all this stuff is text, test flexible, test optional. What's the point? Why should I even do this anymore? So from your perspective, what do you see is still the value of the SAT or ACT, if there is any at all in your, in your opinion? Well, one, one thing that I think uh, comes back in my mind, and I think the authors of the, the book uh, Measuring Success, which came out um, earlier this year, hit on this a lot, is that as, um, as we learn more about the impact of great inflation, um, I believe a lot of institutions are going to be uh, tying their hands, tying, tying hands behind their backs when it comes to assessing what a 4.0 GPA or a 3.95 GPA really means. Because um, it means a lot of different things in a lot of different parts of the country. Um, so one of the things that I, I still, I'm a test op optimist. I think that you know, the tests that we have on our hands, they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they serve an important role, um, which we as test prep professionals and tutors know quite well, which is that if you sit in a, a, an hour-long session with a student and you go through a critical reading passage on the SAT, you have a pretty good idea of how good of a reader that student is. Does their English teacher know how good of a reader that student is? Maybe. Probably not if they've you know, got a, a lot of classes with 35 kids in them. Um, so even teacher recommendations uh, show a pretty limited scope of that student's academic abilities. So that's one way that I think the tests are still valuable. That they are an independent assessment on the student, imperfect as they are. Um, and I think that they do a good job of uh, simulating college-level coursework. Um, again, imperfect as they are, I think that the texts and the kind of higher-level reasoning that the SAT and the ACT require students to do on the spot is pretty similar to the kind of higher level reasoning and analytic um, work that you do in college, in first year courses. I, I would echo exactly what Scott Clyburn said, but perhaps uh, also add that I think um, one of the typical criticisms of standardized testing is that it's truly a measure of affluence, right? Access to resources like what <laughs> we provide as services to our clients. Uh, but I think you could, reasonably argue the opposite as well, that it is a measure of persistence and uh, a measure of dedication. Uh, yes, we, we all know and have worked with students, clients that innately understand the way that these test formats work, but I don't think it's perfectly a picture of, oh well, this is really just a barrier to entry that only benefits clients with, or, or prospective students with access to resources like college counseling and test prep. Speaking of, of those types of students, 
what type of students do you foresee absolutely continuing to need prep for standardized tests going forward? I spoke to a counselor recently with whom we have a great relationship, and she used an interesting term that I don't know if anyone else has heard. It's called the privileged poor, uh, basically. So um, when Chicago uh, sends out this, this PR blast about going test optional, their purported um, reasoning is to open access to underrepresented minorities who would otherwise never conceive of it applying to a school of that caliber. Um, and so this counselor I spoke to is saying, well, we're in our demographic, in our, uh, our student uh, demographic, we, we're losing out here because the expectation for our student population is still here. If schools go more and more test optional, we're competing for that space. So then from that perspective, students from poorer communities, students from uh, basically long-standing underserved communities like African-American, uh, Latino communities, are not benefiting from this, even though that's kind of the, 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 the spin that you, Chicago, or other schools are putting on this, in your opinion. I think it's not perfectly clear, and uh, much of the literature uh, acknowledges that these are imperfect. This is an initial investigation. Uh, NACAC is much more favorable. They do believe that um, these policies open access and improve enrollment, uh, again, distribution. Uh, but then again, this report out of the University of Georgia suggests otherwise, though the sample set is just this small group of 50 liberal arts institutions. Hmm. So the ultimate question is, does test optional benefit the underserved population so that if you are a middle class or upper middle class student, are you essentially not in a position to go test optional? I think that's a good question. And then if, if the University of Chicago's spin is that this is going to allow us to be more diverse, this is going to allow us to accept students who were not served well by these tests, then the students who are traditionally served well by these tests have to double down on it. They have to score even better so they can, because they're competing with a smaller and smaller demographic group for limited space. I think that, that, that does make sense. I think that brings up the question of what, what does it really mean to be testosterone? Like you have the test line thing where you're saying we're just taking that out of the equation altogether. Whereas if you're, if you're applying to a school that's testosterone, I can speak to that, Dan, that's a wonderful point, and many of the counselors I spoke to uh, addressed that very issue, and they said, if, if this broader movement wants to achieve those virtuous aims truly, then we need a massive paradigm shift. You need to be test blind if you're going to go test optional at all. You need to treat your entire application pool the same way, otherwise all of these questions surface. Yeah, and it, uh, I believe in one of the major criticisms is that these test optional schools are still buying PSAT scores. Um, they're still buying student information from the College Board. They care about marketing to students that score well on the PSAT. So that means that they actually do believe that to some degree the tests are indicative of college success. Um, who's going to be a good student in three years when they graduate? So I think Hampshire is one of the one of the few schools that says, no, we don't believe that this is indicative, and, and we're going to prove that by going completely blind. 
I mean, I don't know how many people are, are familiar with Hampshire College. I mean, since it's here in Massachusetts, uh, and I've had students who've applied there and students who've gone there, uh, attended the, that school, I know a little bit about it. Uh, but Hampshire's, if you're not familiar with it, is a school where there are no set majors. Every single student builds their own major. You just walk in the door and you say, I'm going to take that class, that class, that class, and I'm going to do an interpretive dance computer science major. It's also race. worth noting that Hampshire College not only has a very high rate of attrition, it also sends a higher proportion of its graduates to Ivy League master's programs than any other school in the country. All right, so it's got a very strong reputation. It's, it's got a, a great success rate. But on the other hand, the way the school is built, the, the, I mean, the idea that it's test blind and it's being, you know, it's make, taking a big risk, it kind of goes with its brand of, you know, we want students who are going to be self-motivating self-directing, uh, create their own programs, and send themselves on to the next step in their lives. So it's very on brand for them to be test blind. Is it also uh, no grades? I mean... It's a narrative assessment. Yeah, yeah it's not... It's not, so a, it's it's not consistent a, with their, their right. philosophy of assessment. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not a, a quantitative assessment in terms of grades. It's a qualitative assessment in terms of, you know, it's a story that you tell. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that, that's a very consistent for, a school, for schools that are uh, older, because Hampshire College is a relatively young school, uh, for schools that are older, more traditional, more steeped in numbers, it's going to be harder to, to, to go test blind and, and, and still maintain a very number-oriented mm. uh, uh, methodology. I agree that, uh, as we mentioned, that I bet 99% of the students applying next year will submit scores. So it's not going to make that much of a difference in the short term. Maybe they get to that 70% who submit scores and 30% who don't like Bowdoin, but Bowdoin's been doing it for almost 50 years now. And so I think that that's, it, it's, I think it's more for show, as you said, it's more for branding than it is for actual substance and, and again you guys were both talking about that with in terms of the, the PR splash you know um, people picked up the USA Today I mean we're, I can't I'm, I can't get over it guys I really can't I can't get over people picked up and reading the USA Today so let's let's turn the corner now what does that mean in center what are, have, has anyone seen a difference in the students the type of students the the the, the goals aspirations of the students whether the, you've had students applying to test optional schools in the past or now that the, you know, Youth Chicago has made a big splash. Let's start with you two gentlemen. Have you seen any, like, is there a difference in the students? No, largely because the, the pool of schools are, is not big enough um, to support a, a college admission strategy that would focus on just test optional schools. And the schools are too diverse and, and different and in different parts of the country. To, for, for a student to just target completely test-optional, test-flexible schools, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, the second reason is it, that the tests are already ingrained in their academic cultures. 
So as I mentioned earlier, they're probably going to take an SAT or an ACT or both at some point in their high school careers. And they're probably gonna end up with somewhat competitive scores if they go to um, competitive schools and if they uh, have been paying attention for the past three years. So you're in I, Portland, you're in Virginia. Any difference? Like you've had the, had the same experience? This exact same experience. In fact, I'd say, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think this is actually driving uh, more inquiries our way. You know, th this PR splash prompts parents who are unfamiliar with the entire process to come to us, and we basically reassure them that we don't see a wave of test optional schools coming in the near future. We'll see this trickling effect, and the, the data suggests that it's growing, certainly. But again, the, it's so disruptive that schools, top 50 schools, are not going to be able to, to shift that paradigm. Um, but it is worth asking, and I, and I like asking this question both of, of myself, our company, and, and others. What if, uh, I asked this of a counselor, what if in 5, 10, 15, 20 years all schools went test blind? What would that do to your business model? How would you operate? Um, and I don't have an answer to that, but I think it's worth exploring, and I think at least initially what it means for us in uh, Virginia is that our, our services become more holistic. They become less, or not at all, oriented to test performance optimization, and it becomes more a holistic uh, program of college admissions counseling, looking for the right fit, looking at cognitive uh, evaluation, and, and we call it academic coaching, but I believe uh, it has other expressions. Sure. It's also about the sense of urgency because I think that uh, test optional doesn't mean we're not looking at anything. Mm -hmm. so they go test blind. Okay, now I need a better GPA because I don't have to, you know, 1400 even though my average is lower now raise me up. So you would have to shift to tutoring and different types of things the AP, world history, you know, things like that. Not even AP, regents exams in New York. So I think the most telling number you gave was 70%. Parents of the students I tutor think test, test optional means this school nobody sends their scores to. They don't know that's not that's not what it means. That's a good point you bring up because again, parents are gonna, and this is about. I think it's going to be more about talking to parents. It is going to be about Absolutely. about the students. The students are just banging away at their tests. They're, they're, the school says, okay, everybody in school is taking the PSAT this Wednesday in October. The school, students do it. They don't care. They're just going to show up and they don't have a class. They don't have a regular class that day. They're fine with it. It's really about the parents, I think. They're the ones who are going to be coming in, you know, their hair on fire, really like confused. You know, does test optional mean no tests at all? Test optional is most of the parents I deal with mean. So if my son does not do well, we'll also apply to some of those test optional schools without sending a test. <laughs> so they really don't have a real firm grip. I think they need, they need to educate the consumer. Yes, sir. I think that the point you made about who this test optional policy impacts is pointed because. Even if those kids end up or 
But to Scott's point, there's a vast difference in the University of Chicago, an enormous internationally known research university in, deep in the heart of Chicago, and a place like Bowdoin, in the woods, in Maine. You know, the biggest city close by is Portland, Maine, which, as big cities go, is tiny. So I think, I mean, I think to Scott's point, test optional is not a genre of school. It's not like art school. Like art schools are art schools. It's not like you know tech schools like MIT, Caltech, and and the schools in that genre. Test optional is is like a, a completely different way to think about it because that's about trying to come up with an excuse. I think some, for some parents, you know, like oh my child di didn't do well, so where can where can we send them? Well, it, it is, what's ironic about it is I think the last class of schools that will likely go test optional in 15, 20 years will be the state schools because they have to answer their legislatures, bureaucrats, um, they like numbers, and for many of uh, the kids that are you know, maybe minority or, or lower income, those are their safety schools, right? University of Oregon and, and, and Portland, I can't imagine University of Oregon ever going test optional, and th that's the safety school for many of my kids in public schools. So, sure, it's, it's nice to hear that I could apply to Wake Forest, but you gotta be able to, to afford Wake Forest. And also, you know, those schools are so big, they have a huge number of applications for those. How are they ever gonna, yeah. Actually, financially, these schools that are test optional are private. Are private, and what, how much merit aid, how much aid do you give? Are you giving, that was the question. You know, since a lot of schools base their merit aid on scores, that poses the interesting question, are you gonna be able to get as much money as you might get by demoting your college plans and maybe going to a school where they'll give you more money or whatever, mm -hmm. so it's. One, uh, one consideration there, so a study that would likely be beneficial to everybody in the room, William Hiss, who was the director of admissions at Bates College, he, um, he was a pioneer in the test optional movement. There's a study that was released, I believe it was in April of this year, now looking at the outcomes for test optional schools. What had happened now that uh, students had matriculated, graduated, and they have the data on student performance over the course of four to six year graduation rates, GPA, and also need. One thing that they saw, students who apply test optional have on average $4,000 more in need. Now, what I think that means that we need to consider is that these are not policies that are designed for the students that are paying one to $2,000 for a test preparation program. Equity, access, diversity at these campuses, these are the primary goals of test optional programs. And even though, yes, schools do get the benefit of the promotion that comes with it, it's not just playing the US News and World Reporting's ranking game, because actually, schools take a hit. They, um, they decrease the average SAT, ACT scores if a school is uh, reporting below a certain threshold of incoming students' SAT and ACT scores. Some schools have found ways around this. Northeastern does a lot of deferred admissions and has students start in January, which means that they don't actually have to report those students' incoming scores. So mm -hmm. schools are finding ways to continue to game the system, which is nothing new. Um, but when it comes to test optional policies, a lot of the students that we work with will still need to take these tests because they are not the students that test optional policies are So let's talk about that 15, 20 year down the line threshold. 
of what if more and more schools go test optional? What if the most unlikely of things happens and state universities and colleges go test optional? Which I agree with you completely. Knowing UMass here in Massachusetts as I do, there's no way. But let's say it happens. Let's say it happens. Uh, and I think you touched on it a little bit, Scott, but what happens to, to us as tutoring centers, as providers of supplemental education, uh, as uh, uh, after school and weekend support, what do we do now? What happens to us? How do we help families? Well, I think part of the, the equation will be, will colleges find another way to measure students' college readiness, right? So the purported um, goal of, of SAT and ACT is to give colleges a number that they can compare between students about who's more ready or who's a better bet, who's a better investment. Um, in, in the absence of such a number or such a figure, what will colleges look to to make those decisions? Will they look to extracurriculars? Will they look to the number of APs or IB classes the students have taken? Will they look to more than just the GPA, college uh, essays, and teacher recommendation letters? They've got to. There's got to be some other kind of measure that they're going to find. And in the meantime, I think we, we continue helping our kids become better thinkers, better, better reasoners, better students. Yes, sir? We have to be mindful of the fact that a lot of what we teach during the ACT, SAT processes, skills that they can carry over into college. So we just have to morph into a different type of skill set and how we can still help someone in 11th and 12th grade. If they come to us, they will do better in college than if they didn't. College counselor, I spoke to. I'm sorry. I'm no, I was just going to say, like, because they would never talk in school. Exactly. More often yeah. than not. Uh, speaking with another local counselor, she made an excellent point that I think is pertinent even now, not 15 years in the future, which is we must work with these young students and help them identify what is their common narrative, what is what is their passion, what differentiates them from the pack, right? Because that was what a, a standardized, you know, in the 50s when, when they first brought out, or even earlier, right, uh, the SAT, it was a way to differentiate and to identify uh, caliber of student, but now, and perhaps even tangential to test scores, there are increasing number of institutions that are seeking interviews uh, with, with these students. They are looking at their extracurriculars they are looking for a common narrative through their essay scores. And, and these standardized measures, even if they go away, they need to be replaced by some measure, even if it's qualitative. And, and my worry there, as much as people complain that SAT scores track really well with maybe kind of the link up, and clearly they do, um, you know, access to AD programs, access to uh, your school having an IB program, how much does it cost to be on the debate team? How much does it cost to be noted as a summer internship, right? All these other holistic measures maybe even more tied to, uh, to to household income than the SAT or ACT ever was. So, so I don't know that that... I play that competitive with travel soccer. Yeah. No, <laughs> no I, it makes absolute sense. I mean, if you have access to, yeah. you know, your, your, all your friends' dads or CEOs so you can get hooked up with a nice internship... You're going to be a very well-known Right, <laughs> right. And, and then you can, as you discussed, well, you can do the, the fancy travel soccer team that some communities are, are famous for, or your school has a lab in a maker space, and so you can you know build a better robot, and that's your portfolio that you can submit instead of scores. Great, what about the kid who goes to the deep, dark, inner city school, which has no resources? Those students are underserved. 
that that's not benefiting them. You're you just know? trading off inequities. Right. Yeah. It's it's one measure that's out of their reach for another measure that's out of their reach, regardless of how bright, intelligent, uh, motivated, or hardworking they are as a student with no resources, no path to success, no path to college. Um, I think that's, that's a really well-made point. So I think, does anybody else have anything on their mind? Anything they want to, uh, to say? Any other points? Sir? I think one of the important considerations in the test optional movement, and again, something that anyone working in testing should be aware of, is that in the past, what's been trotted out as the chief justification, aside from the sorting convenience of test scores, is the correlation to first year GPA. Um, the College Board has been the first to point out that the best possible correlation between student data and first year GPA, why first year GPA? Well, firstly, because you don't get any meaningful data when you actually track out the graduation rates or four year GPA. But for first year GPA, if you take grades, and you add on the SAT and ACT, you get a slightly stronger prediction. That the correlation coefficient is 0.02, which is below any statistical significance. And so in terms of arguments for testing, there are some really meaningful ones to be made, but a lot of the ones that are being made related to what they predict about student success are really disingenuous if you actually look at what the data tells us about what they do and do not predict. In terms of student performance. Well, that <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's right. I mean, the, the whole point is, is that the SAT is there because the colleges want it there because it serves their purpose. So the students have to jump this hoop. They have to jump through this hoop. So we're here to help them jump this hoop. But, the, but beyond that, I think what we've talked about over the last couple of days and what I've talked about on, on the podcast and what I'm sure all of you have talked about with your parents and your tutors is that there's more to test prep than just improving a score on a single test. I know when I'm teaching an SAT or ACT class that I'm looking at problem solving skills as a life skill. And I think that whether it's specifically for an SAT test or an ACT test, or it's whatever measure colleges want down the line, I'm still gonna focus on problem solving skills, uh, uh, building, uh, a better methodology of, of breaking down problems and understanding what, what you have to do to be successful for yourself, uh, whether it's school or job or et cetera, whether that's note taking, reading for information or anything that, that is an important factor on these tests right now, but also beyond that. These are skills that no matter how good your school is, no matter how good your teachers are, no matter how high a level you take, whether it's science, math, etc., you don't get study skills in most English history science classes. So I think that's one thing to, to, to be proud of is that we're, we're doing things that are, we hopefully are doing things that are beyond the test. But is there any research supporting the benefit of any of that? I, meaning to say that, of course, all of that is true. And we all feel good about the work we do, and we understand that test prep done right moves the needle on so many other skills. But is there a study that shows some other beneficial outcome that comes from these test scores, or are we just patting ourselves on the back for mm. the, the residue of our activity? That's a good question. Sure. Well, since I'm a teacher, not a math teacher, I don't get the math out of it. 
I'm not the biggest believer in data all the time. Mm -hmm. I think there's enough, a lot to be said for experience. And I can tell you, 25 years, I know that anyone who leaves me or one of my tutors, they're a better student, they study better, faster, stronger, retain more. And I'm also a classroom teacher. So I know that as good as I might be one-on-one, -on -one, I can't transfer all of that to a class of 25 kids when I'm seeing 125 kids a day. So I, I know I can't give you the data, but I know there's a difference. Sure. And I think, you know, as, as much as I, I throw the test under the bus all the time, it's a terrible test, it's a terrible test, but still, you know, we, as a society, we give the SAT just a tremendous amount of, like, social cachet, right? It's the SAT, it's a big deal. So even as much as it's this big, bad, dragon garden we gave to college, right, to be a little metaphorical here, playing dragons is how you make heroes, right? You know, um, the idea that, that when a kid works really hard and, and sees that, oh, Yeah, yeah, I think that's that well said. That's a good point. So, uh, any other uh, moments or thoughts on uh, from anybody? If not, we'll wrap this up and uh, send ourselves on to the next exciting adventure. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Well, I think that was a great uh, panel. We we really covered a lot of different issues about. Uh, test prep and college counseling uh, from both the uh, center's perspective, which would be a little bit behind the scenes, uh, you know, a peek behind the curtain for families listening, for parents and students, uh, and also for teachers and, and school administrators, but also from the student and family's perspective about what it means for them in their admissions process. Now, this panel was very informative, but you might have some questions, so please feel free to reach out to us. Um, if you're listening, uh, you know, in, in your favorite podcast app of choice, you can uh, reach out to me through our uh, Twitter account, at EndeavorPod. Uh, you can also, if you're listening on an, uh, a Mac or in iTunes or in the iOS podcast app, leave a comment on, uh, on iTunes. Um, you can always, of course, like, star, favorite, whatever your podcast app of choice lets you do to show that you like the episode. And please feel free to hit that share sheet and share this podcast episode with friends and family alike. Um, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you had a good time. And as always, let's keep learning.